It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWSM. This is our weekly chronicle of local news where we bring in some of the uh, East End's award-winning journalists to do a little bit of a deeper dive. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com. My co-host is Bill Sutton, who is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And we have our uh, typically excellent panel of guests. We have Chrissy Sampson, who is the Deputy Managing Editor of the East Hampton Star. Good morning, Chrissy. Beth Young, who who is Editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. And Denise Civiletti, who is the Editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Thank you all for joining us. So all news is local, right? And there's really only one story uh, that we have to talk about right now, and that is the Supreme Court decision, and perhaps we should say the Supreme Court decisions, because there were several uh, in the last week or so that uh, have really upended American society in a lot of ways. But let's let's start by focusing on the Dobbs decision, which overturned uh, Roe v. Wade after nearly 50 years um, of offering constitutional protection for a woman's right to abortion. So. Uh, let's talk about what the reaction's been locally. Denise, on, on Wednesday of this week, uh, we did see a big rally in uh, Riverhead. This is the second rally of this type. I know that when the Alito draft decision became public, there was a similar rally held. How did they compare? What was the the difference in size and, and the difference in intensity? I, I would say that it, this was twice the size of the one in May. Um, they had uh, easily 200 people, probably more, attend this uh, on this on the steps of the Supreme Court building in the state Supreme Court building in Riverhead, which uh, is on Griffin Avenue. And um, <clears throat> they filled this. They filled the steps. They overflowed the sidewalk onto the street, which the police always say stay on the sidewalk, but it wasn't possible. So the police ended up closing down the street between Court and Second Street, so that the crowd could fill, you know, fill in on the street. Um, there were uh, people there from all over the region, mostly East End. It was organized by the East End uh, or some of the East End Democratic committees anyway. Um, it, um, I think probably most notably uh, South Hold and Southampton uh, really put it together, um, along with um, Planned Parenthood of Hudson Peconic and uh, East End Action Network, um, and it, there was, uh, you know, emotions were high. That is for sure. Uh, they had about a dozen speakers. Um, they people sharing personal stories. Um, people, you know, ranting <laughs> about how, how wrong this is. And uh, uh, Democratic candidate for Congress, uh, Bridget Fleming, um, made what I consider to be a really important speech about this and something that struck me immediately, um, and that is how the court is really poised to springboard from this, to follow its reasoning in Dobbs to the logical conclusion, um, because it is poised to dismantle a, a body of law that's developed in the Supreme Court uh, case law over the last like 60 years now. Um, that um, I won't get too wonky. Um, I did that in a column last week. I got very wonky. Um, our reporter, Alec Lewis, was um, chastising me about it, but I couldn't help myself. Um, that, so I sometimes just, the lawyer comes out, I can't help it. I said, I don't care. I'm publishing this. I don't care if people read it. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're poised to follow this to its logical conclusion, you know, to invalidate the right to privacy and invalidate every right that um, derives from a doctrine called substantive due process, um, which if you read Clarence Thomas's um, concurring opinion, he says, you know, that this is an error. It's erroneous law, substantive due process. And therefore, these other cases that starting in like the early 1960s with um, Griswold v. Connecticut, where the court ruled that um, people have a right to possess and buy, but I buy, possess, and use um, contraceptives. Uh, that was one of the first cases and, and of this of this ilk. And um, 
you know, that was erroneously decided because substantive due process is not a thing, according to this court. And um, the right to uh, consensual uh, sexual relations between adults is based on this same doctrine. And so that case should be overturned. And uh, the right to marry is based on the same doctrine. And so that case should be overturned. So you see where this is going, right? I mean, uh, uh, you know, it, not, not to minimize what the court did in Dobbs as far as the right to um, a woman's right to choose and a woman's bodily autonomy, um, it's, it, it goes beyond that even. And, um, and so it's a, very, it's a very dark time. And, and Bridget was very much more eloquent than I in, when she got up with the megaphone. <laughs> And made and made a speech about this the other day. So if we can take a step back for a second, Denise, and maybe you can help us understand, because as I've always said, you're the one with the law degree on the panel. Um, the decision was was overturned Roe based on the idea that that Roe had said that a woman's right to abortion was rooted in the 14th Amendment, which guarantees um, a right to privacy. And this overturned that based on the idea that we have a, a group of justices now who are originalists and believe that the Constitution should be interpreted based on the way the, the, the Constitution was written at the time, that we have to go back to that. I believe the, the other term is texturalists. Do I have that right? That, that's, that, that there really have only been four or five originalists on the Supreme Court, and most of them are on there now. I, that, that's, and, and this is a real change in the way we're interpreting the, the Constitution and the Supreme Court. They characterize themselves that way, but when it comes right down to it, they are extremely activist and, and they have no problem legislating. Yeah. And I think that we see that over and over and over again. But, you know, they say this. So the premise of Dobbs was that the Constitution does not specifically say a woman has a right to an abortion, right? Um, the word abortion is nowhere in the Constitution. Therefore, how do we, as they would say, concoct that right? If it's not enumerated in the Constitution, it's a non-enumerated right. So how do, what do we use to say this is a right if it's not in the Constitution? And they say you have to look back at the, the long history and tradition of the law and in fact, abortion was illegal for a, a very long time, up until just a few years before Roe. So therefore, the court could not say it was protected as an unenumerated right, because it could only be an un, a protected unenumerated right by the, in the Constitution if it was something that ha, was rooted in the long history of jurisprudence and legal doctrine in the United States. So basically... Let's dial back and go back in time to the you know, 19th century in order to decide what our rights should be in the 21st century if it's not specifically st stated in the Constitution. And that logic is applied to the right to privacy. It's applied to the right to contraceptives. It's applied to the right to have control over your own body and your own life, your personal freedom. And we all know, because it wasn't that long ago, uh, some of us remember that how that how that's used. OK, that's not applied equally to everybody. We know that that's used to control specifically women and control the people who, who typically are not the power elite, the, the racial and ethnic minorities and women and, it's and gay people. It's interesting, too, Denise, because your point, Samuel Alito, in his decision, um, said specifically this decision should not be interpreted to be about anything but abortion. Abortion is a singular issue here that we're resolving. But in a concurrent opinion, Clarence Thomas made it clear that those other 14th Amendment based rulings are all up for grabs now. And it'll be interesting to see where the court goes. And we made a point in an editorial this week. One that Clarence Thomas didn't mention is the laws banning marriage between races. Interracial marriage. Yeah. yeah. That is another law that was based on the 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 right to privacy uh, granted by the 14th Amendment. Don't think for a second there isn't going to be a movement in some states to try and bring those laws back up again. I mean, it's a it's a dark, dark yeah. thing. And, and, and even though Alito said that, Joe, even though Alito said that in his decision, he did. He said that. But even though he said that, his rationale for 
overturning Roe, if you read the, his rationale, is what um, Thomas elaborates on in his concurrence. I mean, it's there. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, the, we're, we didn't put our toe over this line yet, is the majority opinion. That's, uh, that's what I, where this goes. Beth, I've I've seen Sorry. some observers I've oh, seen yeah. some obver- observers say that uh, that this is about power and and that the court the court rulings are less about law now and more about instituting um, a, a political agenda. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I don't know how much traction this idea of getting uh, of adding justices to the Supreme Court could. Um, could get, but wasn't it initially there were nine circuit courts and that's why there are nine and now there are 13. So um, I don't know how much traction that could actually gain in the real world. And I don't know that there would be enough time to even do anything like that. Um, Yeah. And you know what the process of that would be? No idea. I haven't heard anything specific. Chrissy, that's a good question, though, is where do we go from here? I mean, what's the what's the answer? I mean, some of it is about I know President Biden said uh, there needs to be a federal law uh, put in place. And that was essentially what the court ruling was that said that Congress was really the one that should should take action to preserve these rights rather than in, interpreting the Constitution to do it. But that's a tall order right now, um, especially with the filibuster in the Senate. Yeah. Well, the filibuster is how we got to the Supreme Court. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't I mean, I don't know. So I can't report on this. You know, we were we we're <laughs> I have a personal issue with this. So I you know, I we chose not to have me be the one writing about this this week. But, you know, I, I saw something online. It was like, you know, time zones work work weird, you know, in America. It, it's, you know, Rome, it's like, you know, eight, eight o'clock at night in England. It's, you know, whatever. And in America, it's 1942. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Feels that yeah. way. But we were on the right side of history then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what, Christy, let's talk about that for a second. You said that you you made the choice. Uh, the, the, the choice was made that you weren't going to write about the issue this week because you have strong feelings. And I think you said earlier that you expressed some strong feelings on social media. This is a tough line for journalists to walk um, right now when, when we're reporting on issues of this nature where I think we're all human beings and we all have opinions and sometimes they're very strong opinions. Um, how do we do this? How do we, how do we have these? I mean, I think your feelings on this subject are just as valid as anybody else's. And I want to hear them um, just because you're a journalist doesn't mean you shouldn't have opinions on the subject, but, but how do we navigate this as journalists? Yeah. I, you know, my disclaimer on Facebook when I went into this long, long rant was this is me speaking as a human being and not as a journalist, you know, and I felt like I had to justify that, you know, because we're in the public eye, but not the ones we're not being written about. We're the ones doing the writing about others. Right. So we're expected to be straight and narrow and, you know, fair and balanced and objective. Right. But, you know, I just couldn't couldn't do it. And I said I I kept my mouth shut in 2016 when Trump got elected. I kept my mouth shut, you know, when the there there have been like lots of issues over the years, but I just couldn't keep my mouth shut on this one. Yeah, I think we're there's there's a line. And and I think that for, for me, I think I'm expected to be unbiased as a journalist and in, in, in my writing um, when I'm when I'm writing a, a news story. But but I, I think that doesn't mean that, that, as Joe said, that I'm not a human being, that I don't have uh, um, that, that I don't have an opinion. I have very strong opinions on on a lot of stuff. And I think like Chrissy, there there are times where, you know, on, on so, social media thing, makes things so much difficult and it has over the last the last decade because there's your life you know out there and and, and I, I remember um you know not me personally but you know other reporters getting getting attacked for having opinions on social media initially and you know if you're a reporter you're not you know the old school i guess was you 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 just don't express an opinion publicly you don't register with a political party to vote 
um, you don't give away, you know, you don't give away who you are, but I don't think that that's possible. And, in, in this world today, and and I think that 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 maybe there was some you know mis misthinking on 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 that. I mean, we have to have opinions. We have to be engaged. We have to be part of the the the, the process, and and you know, and we have to work hard to guarantee in our own writing and with the editors that we work with and and the colleagues that we work with to make sure that you know that stories are balanced and 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 that they're fair and that our own personal opinions don't come through in the stories but that's that's who we are that's what we do and that's you know if it was I, I told a, I told an intern the other day, if this stuff was easy, everybody would be doing it, you know, and it's not. And so that's what makes, you know, that's part of what makes the job, you know, difficult and unique and, and what makes us, um, you know, good, good reporters and, and journalists is our ability to, you know, to face that head on. I respect your opinion. Absolutely, Chrissy, if, if, if you, you know, felt that, um, you know, that there was an issue with with covering this topic. And, and certainly that's, um, you know, that's a great way to address it is, is just to have somebody else do it. But I, I, I reject the notion that, that we can't be human and have, um, you know, have a, have opinions. That's who yeah, I think that's that's an important point that I think you I think that was a very I think your professionalism comes through in your decision not to write about it. Absolutely. This yeah. I think yeah, that's, that's a, very true. Yeah. I mean, if you felt like you couldn't report on it objectively, then that was the right call to make. But yeah. I think but that my, my opinion is that just because you have an opinion about it doesn't mean that you can't report on it objectively. You know, I mean, right. obviously, I have pretty strong opinions about this <laughs> and um, I'm, I've voiced them. Um, but like I have, you know, we don't have in, in small town uh, community journalism, like we, what we do here, all of us, um, we don't have the luxury of being removed from the people that we cover. Um, we don't have an editorial board that's completely removed from the news side of, the, of things. Um, yeah. And so we're always telling, you know, walking that line. I mean, it's just it's just part of our lives here. We are always running into the people that we report on in the supermarket or in church or at the soccer field with our kids or whatever you know the case may be. So we really have to learn how to navigate those very tricky waters that we navigate every day. And, and this is just, I feel like, part of it. And I mean, I have I have covered um, you know anti-abortion demonstrations in Riverhead. And I've done so, I believe, uh, very even-handedly and fairly. Um, I never had a complaint about how I covered those things. I have covered, you know, uh, Trump caravans and rallies mm -hmm. and things. And, you know, I, I do, I work hard sometimes to keep my opinions out of things. And I think, I think that, uh, you know, that's important. And I mean, at one time during a, um, uh, congressional breakfast with the Farm Bureau that the, our Congress uh, members have traditionally held. Um, Lee Zeldin actually uh, called me out about that, like in a good way, like, you know, that, uh, that that's what I do. And that's how we report. And, you know, that's how it should be. And, you know, not like those people at Fox News, he said. No, I'm only kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're when you're reporting, you know, on pe on people who on, on people who are engaged in something that that you have moral qualms about, I, I feel like you learn so much from finding out why they believe the way they believe. I just find it so fascinating, um, and it really helps you broaden your mind. I mean, even if you walk away from it still not agreeing with them, you at least understand where they're coming from, and it humanizes them. That's a and huge. Important point, Beth. Thank you yeah. for pointing that out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know what? I, I would argue sometimes we even, you know, we even, you know, go 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 the opposite way, and we're so careful to be balanced and to include opposite, you know, uh, opposite sides to to how we may feel that, you know, that 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 maybe we even go over the top now and then in, in making yeah. sure that things are balanced, that you know, that everybody's represented. I don't know. Yeah, you know, one of my oh, go ahead, Beth. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I could be wrong, but I think probably everyone here has written both opinion and straight news pieces, um, and I think that's just a, you know the hats that all of us wear at, at small newspapers. And I know for for mm -hmm. me and Denise, we run pretty small 
trips here and like we there's no choice um so um i i think one of the things you know the, that you it's a really the structure of a newspaper is this is the journalism and this is the pages that you open and the opinions are on this page we know that but i don't know that our readers necessarily know that and I yeah it's about news literacy and news consumption for a right. lot of people they can't yeah. and we've talked about this on the show before yeah. you know joe i think you've weighed in on this in the past where people can't discern commentary even though they're on totally different pages and the stars totally separate sections you know yeah. and but online, a lot of times, especially people can't discern what's news versus what's commentary. Yeah, you even want to set a section for it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 will say this. Yeah. I will say this. I think that we shouldn't be thin skinned about the criticisms that we get, that we need to look outside our own our own points of views a little more. And I, I think that's important for us to do as journalists. You know, I was going to say one of the things I do on a weekly basis um, because it's community journalism. And as you say, we all wear different hats. I deal with the letters to the editor. And I would say that it may be a surprise to discover that some of my friendliest conversations are with letter writers that I completely disagree with. But it's important to me. I mean, I find some of their letters just heinous, frankly. But I also think it's really an important part of my job for them to be heard in the pages of the newspaper, too. And so my job is to help them make their points in the newspaper in a way that's fair. And, and, and I have gone back and forth with letter writers to say this fact that you are citing is inaccurate and I can prove it to you. Here are the, and, and I, those are ways that I try and keep. And, and to be quite honest with you, people are actually open to that as long as you're fair about it. And, and that's where I think we got to find the middle ground. I have opinions, but I also, as a journalist, I want to, to hear the broad range of opinions. And I've actually been sort of intrigued by some of the different interpretations of of these court decisions and and where they may go and and you know if there's some solace for all of us maybe it's that the court decision is saying congress is really the place to settle this and i think maybe it may be fair to say that the roe decision 50 years ago kind of made everybody relax a little bit and not get the heavy lifting done to get this put into clear federal law and that's work that needs to happen now. And it just, it hasn't been done yet. And it is an uphill climb. But um, as we said in our editorial this week, I think you can look to the right and see they were patient and they persevered and they did all the little things that you have to do. And they took all the losses knowing that it was a lot, they were playing the long game. And um, it's going to be a difficult climb back, but but I think I think it's important uh, that we start we start talking about trying to get a federal law in place. Do you, do you think though that 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 can that can ever happen? I mean, was there ever a you know? I mean, I, I think you've got blue states and red states right now that the the you know the. And, and maybe that's to your point that you've got to get past the division among states. But how do you, how do you do that with such a divisive government and, and such a, you know, so it, it, this this splits pretty much along party lines. Nothing's getting accomplished in, you know, in, in on the on the federal level because of that. How do you come in and say that, you know, there has to be a, a federal law? I mean, to me, that's almost like surrendering to you know you know we're not going to get a federal law passed because you know because it's so it's so divided um so so we're just going to then leave it back to the states and 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 you know and, and you're going to have you know this multitude of states where it's illegal and and you're going to have you know states like new york where it is legal and and you know and and i've said it said it talking about this issue before it just harkens back to you know to to pre-civil war times where it's this this division you know on on, on states and who controls the states and you know and 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 all that and i, I just don't um, I, I like the idea of a federal law. I don't see how that happens. I, I, I just don't. And, and so then you're stuck with, with status quo. Yeah, and this is going to be a real issue on the, from the state perspective in, uh, in this fall's uh, gubernatorial race here. 
Let's talk about that a little bit. Denise, the New York Times did a story this week about uh, Lee Zeldin is now the Republican nominee officially. And his um, history on abortion is fairly clear. Right. I mean, he's he is he is not in the mainstream uh, in any way is on the issue. And he has very personal reasons for it. Yeah. That are compelling. Yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, yes, they are. Uh, you're referring to uh, the, his premature twins. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, who, I, I, how many weeks were they when they were born? I think he said, you I know, I see life in the second trimester. Second yeah. trimester, he said. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. I mean, and that's now that's another thing. I mean, since Roe, um, you know, medicine has changed and viability uh, has changed as well, thanks to medical intervention of medical uh, technology that didn't exist in 1970 and 72 uh, or 73. Uh, anyway, but yes, I mean, um, the congressman has spot, has co-sponsored um, the, the uh, pain capable uh, fetus act that he co-sponsored the, the pain capable unborn child protection act. Sorry. He co-sponsored the uh, life at conception act. Um, he has been extremely anti-abortion. And, um, you know, the, the article in the Times uh, raised the question of, well, you know, how is that going to play in New York, where um, conventional wisdom is that the only way a Republican is elected governor is by appealing to moderate Democrats and um, and moderate Republicans, particularly on this issue. I mean, this has been an issue where, according to polls over, you know, more than a generation now, um, Republicans have been uh, pretty much in the same camp as Democrats when it comes to a woman's right to choose. I mean, that's been a long time thing. I don't know how that how that goes now. I mean, I think that now we're we've seen a transformation in the Republican Party that I don't think anybody really ever expected to see. So I'm not sure that 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 still holds water, but um, you know, that's that was the point of the Times article. And, you know, Zeldin, in his acceptance speech, when um, he was elected, uh, when he won the primary um, Tuesday, he didn't mention abortion at all. He, he hit on crime and, and taxes. Um, and um, Hochul almost immediately, uh, <laughs> obviously was ready for this, but uh, launched a website and you know, attacking uh, Zeldin as on the fringes of the far right of the Republican Party. And well, there were several on that website, several issues that uh, that have their own sections. <laughs> and one of them is the is the abortion issue as well. So, um, you know, John, I, I think I'm, that's going to be a, that's going to play out in as as the election campaign goes forward, for sure. I'm long overdue in reminding people that this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our guests today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Chrissy Sampson of the East Hampton Star. Um, two points, Denise. Um, one, I found it intriguing in that Times article that Lee Zeldin's response is, well, regardless of my views on abortion, you have a Democratic state legislature, so I can't do anything anyway. And mm. I found that to be a very mm. interesting response. The second thing is, I'm going to point out... Is that, that, is that like a punt? Is that a... Uh, I mean... Don't look to me, I can't do anything. <laughs> the, the second point is that I think both he and the national Republicans have, have pretty much shown their hand that they're going to do their best to divert the conversation away from these issues. Um, I, I was taken that when the, the uh, January 6th commission hearings, the special hearing was held last week that was such a bombshell, uh, I believe it was the uh, Senate uh, Republican Judiciary Committee, their tweet was, gas is $5 a gallon. That was the tweet. Yeah. Um, the, the idea is don't look over here at these Absolutely. things. Look over here. But my question is, in New York, I think on a national level, that could be a winning strategy for the Republicans in the fall. I think people are upset enough about the economy that it could overshadow even these monumental issues we're talking about. I'm not sure, though, 
it will in New York State. I think the I think the issue of abortion is so important in New York State. What do you got? So many Democrats here. I mean, I, I mean, it's a two to one. Always been compelling, but you, Sullivan thinks like, he can win, or he wouldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, do, you just have to show up at the polls. Yeah, bingo, and it's bingo. Been, that's that's what you know. I keep saying that all along. It's, who, it's who, who gets out the vote. Uh, Joe, you, you just keep underestimating those upstate, um, you know, re Republicans. And I, I don't think I don't think I don't think abortion becomes the singular issue. And, and I, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think people fall, you know, in, in, in both both sides of the aisle, people fall in different spectrum when it when it comes to, you know, to women's rights and all that. But I don't know that that becomes the singular issue in in the in, in, in the race in, in November. I think there's a lot of traction to 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 the economy, to gas prices, to to inflation, to, you know, to the recession. It's it just I, 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 I would like to respond to that, though, Bill, because, yeah. I, you know, as you know, I've been saying right along since last year that, you know, I think Zeldin stands a better chance getting elected than people here might think. But um, I think that this development with the Supreme Court and this decision in particular has a way of, in, of stoking the Democratic base that if, if, if people can manage to ride that through to November, yeah. I think it diminishes Zeldin's chances of being elected significantly. I really do. I think that, but you know, Denise, if, I can pick, is, if I can piggyback on that, I mean, I think there's three. Uh, big issues that Lee Zeldin, there, there are three big millstones he has around his neck. One is the abortion issue. The second one is guns. Um, when the Supreme Court decision came down in the New York uh, case involving uh, carrying weapons, I mean, he is very far to the right on that as well. And I think that's out of step with the state. And, and then you have the January 6th commission, which is talking about the insurrection on on that date. And Lee Zeldin was in the middle of it. And those are three. I mean, look, in any election, I think any one of those three would be would make it more difficult for a Republican to get elected. I just feel like the three together, I, I realize they will animate his the base that that has no issues with any of those three things. But I think that's a small number in New York. And I don't I think I don't think it's I really don't think it's going to be a close race in the I, 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 I think that the anti-abortion decision and Dobbs is going to animate the Republic, uh, the Democratic base much more than anything else going on now. And I think that's a significant hit to a Republican candidate, especially one with opinions I, as extreme as his. I, I think I think you're both I think you're both correct. And, and I know I've been kind of you know on, on the fridge, but, um, you know, I will also say that I don't know how many people go to the polls in November to vote in the governor's race. It, it's not, it may not be the driving race that drives people to the polls. I mean, the, the, the race in November is, is about, it's a midterm national race. It's going to be about, um, you know, who controls, who controls Congress, who controls the house and the, and the Senate. And, 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 and I think that, that, that is, that is, is what drives people to the polls in November the, the Republicans are going to stand firm on, you know, Joe Biden is, is ineffectual. The economy is is horrible. Your life is worse than it was two years ago because you can't afford stuff and you're spending one hundred dollars at the gas station and two hundred dollars at the grocery store. And, and that's just going to be the push. The closer you get to November, that's all you're going to hear about. And those are issues that. That, that the Democrats can't do a, a lot about. If, if the only if the only thing on on the ballot was the, the gubernatorial race, then then I, I think you're I think you're both right. But but I think I think you're going to get a strong you're going to get a strong as Chrissy said, it's who gets out the vote. You're going to get a strong turnout, um, you know, across the country from 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 the Trump base and and from you know even even the middle ground Republicans who are, are, are pushing um, you know for for control of, of the House and the Senate um, and and on the anti-biden ticket Chrissy and Beth do you, do you think this will have an impact on the local 
um, congressional race and the the you know the, that's obviously going to be a big deal on the East End this year. We have a, a congressional seat up for grabs that was Lee Zeldin's seat. Um, yeah. how, how Beth, how do you think it's going to? Will that help? It, with it, it may very well play out the way Bill is saying. Um, people will be mo- motivated based on they don't like the way things are going with their personal finances. This particular um, congressional seat is in the national focus because it's considered one of the key races like yeah. anywhere. Yeah, it is. And you know, the, the new, the new lines make it really uh, a toss up. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's going to be about turnout. It's 50, 50, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this has been a toss up seat in the past and the way the redistricting process played out, um, it, it ends up being a toss up seat again. Um, <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the Republican primary next month, mm-hmm. right? Because you know the the party designee is um, a resident of Amityville, not in the district, and he's being challenged by candidates who are um, cl- claiming that you know they're running because he's not conservative enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know he. You know, I get his his mailings and stuff, and he's you know he pretty much toes the you know new Republican line every step you know down the road. So like I I don't know what they're advocating exactly, like how you know how he's too liberal or whatever. But uh, that 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 could be interesting. You know, I, I do want to get to some other issues, um, but before we leave the Supreme Court, Denise, I want to talk a little bit about something else that happened this week, which is that they announced that they'll be taking up a case in the next term that has to do with uh, the way the Supreme Court views state legislatures' roles in uh, presidential elections. This has the potential to be a, another bombshell of a, of a decision, right? It sure does. I have not read the case that's, you know, the decision that's being appealed from. But um, my understanding is that um, North Carolina law says that um, the state legislature, that state courts will not won't be able to review um, state legislative redistricting maps. And I mean, Considering what we've just been through here in New York, that kind of makes me chuckle because, I, you know, I mean, what a mess that was. And the only way out of it was through a court appointed, uh, you know, special master. And we had a similar thing happen right here on a local level in Suffolk County. So, I mean, that has the potential to really kind of let state legislatures sort of just run amok when it comes to gerrymandering, you know, their the districts and and you know, affecting the outcome of elections on you know for Congress or state or state legislature. So um, that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the fact that they took that case is interesting in itself. Then there was the case of the the, the decision in West Virginia versus EPA, where they said the EPA uh, re- regulations limiting um, emissions from coal-fired uh, power plants went too far, that they didn't have the uh, legislative authority to issue that rule. And uh, so that got tossed. And I mean, that has, you know, very real impacts for us here on the East Coast, because we end up breathing that. I mean, that's what causes our, you know, ozone advisories and particulate matter advisories here uh, on Long Island that we're seeing, you know, every summer with increasing frequency. So um, that's a serious matter that, They've got to get back to work on real quick, I think, and make sure that um, that re- that kind of regulation can withstand judicial scrutiny. That's another case where the ruling essentially said that it shouldn't be the courts making. Well, actually, the court stepped in and, and took responsibility for deciding what the rules should be, but saying that it's up to the legislature to be clearer. It shouldn't be the agency that makes those decisions. Yeah. It should be Congress. Uh, there are solutions to these things, but again, they all lead through Congress and and getting Which, anything through Congress right now. Do you think all of this <laughs> stuff and, and the North Carolina um, uh, case that's going to be up in the next term, are we going to start to see monumental changes? Are we going to see the, the filibuster go away? Are we going to see the Electoral College maybe be up for a conversation, um, whether that's 
time has passed? I mean, are we going to start having these conversations or, or is there just not enough of a, of a uh, consensus to do that? Are we going to have the conversations or is anything going to get done? (laughs) (laughs) There'll be plenty of conversation and no action. It depends be, on what happens in November. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, but nothing is getting done now. We live we live in interesting times, folks. Uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure that's a good thing. This is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We are with the Express News Group. Uh, our guests today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Chrissy Sampson of the East Hampton Star. Uh, so let's move on to a couple of other issues. Uh, let's talk locally. Um, Christy, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about a story you guys broke, um, about a bus that took place in Montauk, uh, that involved an Airbnb out there. Tell us about that story. Yeah. So a Montauk property owner, so East Hampton town, um, came down on this Montauk property owner, accusing him of renting his house on Airbnb more than 50 times over nine months, um, which is, you know, goes, goes, flies in the face of uh, state, uh, not state, totally uh, community um, rule that you can't um, short-term rent your house um, more than two weeks, for fewer than two weeks, more than twice a year. Am I, am I coming across with that point? You're limited to two rentals a year. That's the important part. So this guy um, is facing $200,000 in fines. Um, You know, he didn't have the rental registry um, situation settled. Um, It's a, and of course it, you know, it names the um, defendant um, who has an LLC registered to a Brooklyn address. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and, and that's sort of like the thing that people in East Hampton are, are like, you know, you guys are, unraveling our the fabric of our community the rental situation has really um hit the local people hard and forced a lot of local people out of the community because they can't find a place to live so it ties back to that discussion that we've had so many times before um but 57 tickets um with a 200 fine being levied he's he's due in court on august 1st and chrissy the two towns and and i think particularly east hampton town have been pretty aggressive about trying to uh, find these Airbnb listings and, and crack down on them, right? I mean, they've they've actually put some put some uh, infrastructure in place to keep an eye on the Airbnb listings and to try and try and see if they can identify them uh, and go after them, right? Yeah, and and you know the other end of that, which isn't quite in this issue, is this number of scams that are happening, like oh. on. You know, I, I my mom is trying to find a hotel room in Montauk. I was like, don't do Airbnb. Whatever you do, you could wind up or like VRBO. You could wind up at, at somebody's doorstep and they're like, no, I didn't rent my house to you. You know, like so that's happening, people. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, I, go ahead, it's only going to happen a couple of times before that person gets caught or maybe even once. But yeah. it's it's going to keep it. There's all kinds of crazy things that are happening. People are stealing people's houses from under them by forging um, title documents in other parts of the country. Yeah. The scammers are getting better and better. Yeah, I, I'm stuff. not. And, and I mean, I think, as I said, the towns have tried really hard to, to keep uh, a finger on the Airbnb thing and trying to keep it from getting out of control. But I don't know that they're succeeding. I think mm-hmm. there is a very brisk Airbnb business out there's, here. There's so Absolutely. many. Is, is the answer maybe then to try to regulate that a little more rather than to, than to being devil's advocate? Um, you know, are, are the two week rentals twice a year? Is, has that become archaic um, in, in this in, in this world and in, in this economy and in, in, in this East End? I mean, I know you run into all kinds of problems. If you're renting a house to people for for a weekend, then then they have no investment in in the community and they're having loud parties and 
you know, and they're leaving trash on the street. And there's a lot of issues with with that. But, um, you know, is, is there is there a way to marry both to, you know, to figure out a way to, you know, to make that stuff work? You know, not for nothing. There are there are people living on on the East End who who do Airbnb stuff in order to make their monthly mortgage payments, which are super, super high, as we all as the as the final going up and some of those people are llcs (laughs) well i I think (laughs) in in this case in montauk it sounds like that may have been an investment property and and maybe a little bit over the top but um you know in in general if there are you know we have employees who who have uh you know an extra room and you know, and, and rent it out occasionally, not naming any names, um, you know, to, you know, to help make ends meet. And it's done, I think, very professionally and, and you know, and they keep a, keep a close eye on it. And it's a room in their house. So so maybe there's a, a better different, though, yeah. yeah, they're yeah, right. They're right see. there. But owner occupied properties have that different like you can rent a room. Right. You know, as right. long as you live at at the residence yourself too, you know? Right. Yeah. That was that like seems historically like key, such a thing in the Hamptons. That yeah. seems like the key distinction here is that yeah. this is a different animal. This is a, an investor buying a property in order to run it as an Airbnb, basically as a hotel property, rather than it being, um, as you say, an owner occupied type of a situation. But I just, I, how hard is it for the towns to, to keep it, keep track of that stuff and, you know, right. to, to enforce it? You have to have the resources. You have to have somebody at town hall who is literally all day, every day going yeah. through Airbnb listings and, and verbal listings and, you know, and looking at those listings and saying this doesn't look kosher. And then you have to have a code enforcement officer who's able to to, you know, to take the, that information and go out and try to make a case, you know, against yeah. against a property. It's a lot of resources to do that. A related point point is the environmental impact of residential properties that are being turned into de facto hotels and what that does to the to the septic systems and the wastewater, the groundwater. Like it just ties into so many issues, especially in Montauk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where 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 there is very little septics and it's mostly uh, mostly septic tanks, uh, which is which is. I mean, Ripper had outlawed rentals for less than a month, less than twenty eight days, several years Mm -hmm. ago. It hasn't stopped the Airbnbs. And I was going to say, I wonder how many. There's a gazillion listings. Yeah, Yeah. enforcement is a huge issue up here on the North Fork. I mean, yeah, and you're. I mean, the resources. I mean, I mean, Bill, do you think if they loosened it just a little bit so that like the people who are i think if you found willing partners in in some homeowners and and maybe taxed it a little bit um and you know and and set up some guidelines then then you know people who are who are doing it a little more legitimately not you know not as you know not like you know the houses in in montauk seem to you know then then maybe you would have a little more cooperation you could set up some guidelines you could work things out to to be beneficial for both the community and the municipality and the homeowner i I don't know what those rules i'm just kind of you know riffing but yeah i mean just the idea of insisting on owner occupancy really yeah changes a lot of things yeah but again it's about enforce it's about enforcement too yeah I, I heard well, I mean, a you joke could do, the other oh, day. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I, no, go ahead. I like jokes. It, it changes. <laughs> uh, it's, it was uh, all women should become corporations so that the Supreme Court will take their side. They'll treat them as people. It's a good idea. All right. um, uh, we'll get that, on that. Yes, I wanted on the topic of housing, Southfold is starting to to feel the pressure of bigger and bigger houses being built, right? And they want to try and do something about it. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of funny because I was uh, I was down on the South Fork yesterday, which, you know, I was dreading. I had to go all the way out to Montauk around. And uh, I said, it's two days before the 4th of July, like I'll be home at midnight. <laughs> um, and I'm coming back and I'm like, this trade parade isn't what it used to be. Like, I, I think I can make it home in time for dinner. And um, my boyfriend calls me and he drove out to Orient while I was driving out to Montauk and he said, there's all this traffic here. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Uh, what's going on? And I said, well, 
I, I think it used to be where I am right now. Yeah. We're generous. Um, we want to share. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but um, so South Old Town has had in the works for a, a little while this um, big house legislation. It's, it's kind of similar to what some of the things that you have down on the South Fork, but it hasn't happened here. And I think that's a big part of the reason a lot of these people have come here. They've bought land here. Uh, the zoning board has been overwhelmed with all these variance requests um, for people to build really big houses on little lots. Um, if you go down like a lot of these little side streets in South Hold, you're seeing like all these little cottages that were there forever. But like it, it looks like a, a mouthful of broken teeth. There's like one tiny little house and then a McMansion. And then this sounds um, familiar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was like driving for Uber on the weekends. And some people in the back of my car was like, we don't get it with the way you build houses around here. They're all these tiny little houses. And then there's like, what is with this place? It's so weird. Um, that's a great thing you learned. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but, um, uh, um, that that and you learn a lot of things driving over. <laughs> um, I think it's just fascinating that the same pressures. Yeah. I mean, uh, those catch, pressures finally finally catching up on the North Fork, right? Yeah, it, it only makes sense because the the demand is so much higher than the supply on the South Fork right now that it's yeah. it's going to start pushing people further. And I mean, I think the North Fork hasn't been immune to that over the last twenty years. I think it's just going to get more so. Yeah. And, and people here are like, the, you know, the gossip in the post office is like, I can't believe somebody paid a million dollars for that piece of property. And I'm sitting there like, <laughs> oh, and so what Southhold you better is go have to, a look at the South Fork. Southhold wants to put some limits in as far as house sizes and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's going to be kind of a sliding scale based on the size of the lot. Um, they're probably going to vote in favor of it on Tuesday. Uh, they already closed the public hearing, um, got a lot of favorable comments, didn't uh, didn't but it's not that strong a legislation. Didn't something similar take place in Sag Harbor a few years back? Wasn't there yes. like a development moratorium that completely like didn't have much of an impact? Yes, because, and, and the, the problem was they had so many applications in, I think, before the moratorium went into place. Developers uh, in Sag Harbor are no dummies. Yeah. And I mean, I think you may see that in Southwold too. You may see a rush yeah. of proposals just because of that. So we're, we're, well, we're, running out Tuesday. Of, we're, we're running out of time, but I know Chrissy, you wanted to give a shout out to uh, to new employee over at the star. Yeah. We just want to welcome Tom Gogola to the East end medium media community um, comes with a wealth of experience from like uh, the Albany times union and the nation and he's doing a great job so far. So I just wanted to give him a shout out. Great. Welcome, welcome. Aboard, welcome. Tom. welcome Tom. We'll have you on the show really soon. Absolutely. Always good to have uh, some new faces in the mix on the East End. We have a great uh, community out here of journalists. So, And some of those folks are with us this morning, and I thank you for all of your time. We are out of time. Uh, thank you to Beth Young of the East End Beacon, uh, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and uh, Chrissy Sampson of the East Hampton Star. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You guys are always fun to have on. Uh, thank you also to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Thank you, Joe, for hosting. And I'm Joe Shaw. We will see you next week on Behind the Headlines. Thanks for joining us.